It's a wonderful life. I feel like I should be in front of a fireplace with like a warm cup of coffee because hot chocolate's not really my thing, unless you mix coffee in it, in which case I'm in. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's online-only edition of our service. We're in a series called Christmas at the Movies, and this week we're going to go over the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I do want to apologize. We cannot show on our YouTube channel, Facebook, or our website any movie clips that we don't have license to show. We can show them live on Sunday. So if you're watching on Saturday night, uh, before Sunday morning, come to service tomorrow. We'd love to have you. We can show these clips live. We do have something special planned just for you. But if you can't be here live on Sunday, then you can go to YouTube and view these clips It's a Wonderful Life, Movie Clips, the actual name, title, Movie Clips, has these clips, one through nine, laid out. You can go watch them and and get the gist of what we're trying to show. Or you can go to Amazon, and if you have an Amazon Prime account, they are actually making It's a Wonderful Life available to Amazon Prime members this month. I don't know how long that'll be the case. You can also go to just about any truck stop and dig through that big bin in the middle of the store. you probably find a copy of It's a Wonderful Life or your local Walmart would likely have it. We encourage you to watch the movie. In the opening scenes, we see people praying for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey doesn't have an appreciation for his life. He thinks he's missed his purpose. And people are praying for him. And this is not theologically sound by any means, but um, in the next scene, you see this cluster of stars. It represents like the God star or the father. And then over to the side, you see another cluster and, and God the father is having a conversation with Joseph. And then they call this Uh, guardian angel. It's going to be George's guardian angel. His name is Clarence, and he fits the character. And Clarence asked the father, um, hey, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with George? Is he sick? And the father responds, no, worse, he's discouraged. So I've got about 30 minutes here to convince you and to encourage you. But as I try to encourage you, I want to make sure that you understand, number one, point number one, that there are some times that I have to strengthen and or encourage myself. Last week, we went over the Grinch, and our first two points was don't be a Grinch. Our next gym pastor, Amber Mesh, she communicated Incredibly, point number two, um, don't forget about the Grinch. The only way that we can encourage people and we can show the kindness and the exhortation and, and build people up instead of just breaking them down, the only way that we can strengthen others is if we're taking the time to strengthen ourselves. We're going to talk more about this in January, but I wanted to put it on your radar. One of the struggles that George Bailey had was his inability to encourage himself. 
This is a very biblical principle. Um, for a personal story, uh, there was a season of life. I was in youth ministry. I wasn't doing very well in youth ministry. I had this big facility and, and we had all this space and not very many students. Um, I think we had three children at the time. I know for a fact we had two children in diapers and my wife did a great job with them. Even when we had three children in diapers, she was her calling as a mother and operating in that calling specifically in that season. I was a youth pastor. Uh, I had a, uh, I was, had just started or was in the middle of grad school and the pressure of ministry and life and husbandry and fatherhood and and then trying to like still be that former athlete that I always aspired to be, it just, I was overwhelming myself. And one day with deadlines piling up and ministry vision and unaccomplished objectives, just being overloaded with uh, personal ambition, probably I had to pull over and it just so happened. I'll remember this. As long as I live, I pulled over in the Brookshire's parking lot and man, I was, I was just almost in tears. Just, I was stressing myself. I just felt a lot of pressure and this doesn't happen every time I do this and I have to do this often, but at this time I pulled over and I believe on the radio, maybe even in my phone, I don't know how I had it connected, but I was either singing where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, or I am free. But I had it cranked. And, and I, was, I wasn't like singing it. I wasn't making a joyful noise. I was wailing it. I was, I was yelling <laughs> this song. And, and it was a semi-praise, but at the same time, it was, it was a semi-plea just for the season and the stress and the pressure. And all of a sudden, and again, this doesn't happen every time, but all of a sudden in the middle of that welling and singing sort of, I just sensed the presence of God. It was just a peace. All of a sudden, again, not often, but all of a sudden, not every time, but he met me there and I, I sensed his presence and a peace about all that stuff that was stressing me out. I took a moment to breathe, to separate myself from the situation, to take a breath and to strengthen myself. It's a very biblical principle. First Samuel chapter 30, we see David had just come back to Ziklag with some of his men. And while they were away, while they were away fighting the good fight, you know, battling on behalf of the army of God and the people of Israel, the Amalekites had attacked Ziklag and had burned it. They had basically burned the city to the ground. And no one was killed and just left there for dead, but they were all gone. David had wives and children. The men had wives and children. And they were all kidnapped by the enemy. So imagine coming home and finding your family having been kidnapped as your home had burned to the ground by an evil enemy. This was the situation. This was the scenario that David was facing. So as long as your situation is not that bad, listen to this scripture and listen to what David did how he responded 
1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, the English Standard Version says, David was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Now, that would, that would make anyone greatly distressed. So not only can he not find... Now, he had two wives, and that doesn't mean that the Bible was condoning uh, polygamy here, but, but he had two wives, and, and it was allowed in that culture at that time. I'm not going to go into all that. Just he had two, and he had children. His wives and his children were gone. All the women and children, all his, the, the women and children of his men and his warriors were gone, and the cities burned to the ground. And instead of being able to lean into those people and trust it, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him because you led us away. It was your fault. It's your fault this happened. And so this was a welling moment for all of them. And they wanted to take it out on their leader, which is human nature. Okay. This was for their sons and daughters. Watch what David did. The Bible says David strengthened himself, but he didn't just strengthen himself like coach himself up. No, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He, he walked away. Jesus did this constantly. The Bible said he would wake up early in the morning and he would go and be alone with the father. Or you even see this before his trial, before his crucifixion, that he left even the 12 and even the three and went to be alone with his father. David strengthened himself. King James Version and the King James 2000 Version, which is basically the exact same thing without the old English um, is in its alliteration, is it says David encouraged himself. He encouraged himself. Here's what I want to say about this before we move to the second point. Discouraged people have a hard time encouraging people. Discouraged people have a hard time encouraging people. Many of you have heard me say this before, but you cannot give someone something that you don't have, okay? Hurt people are going to have a hard time being a part of someone else's healing. Broken people are going to have a hard time building someone else up discouraged people are going to have a hard time encouraging people. You have to, at times, we must take the opportunity to strengthen ourselves, specifically in the Lord. Nothing wrong with practicing delight, doing something that you enjoy, but we have got to spend time with Jesus. Now, the second set of scenes that we're going to show is right as George is about to jump off the bridge and take his life, Clarence shows up and he jumps in the water instead. So instead of ending his life and jumping in the water silently and freezing to death and drowning, George jumps in the water and grabs Clarence and someone who is managing the bridge puts a light on both of them and pulls them out of the water. And now they're inside of this little hut with this man. And they're going through this whole scene and, and Clarence is explaining who he is and 
George and Clarence have this moment, and they end up at Martini's, which is, which is a bar, and they shouldn't have been there. Clarence should have known better specifically, but, but there they were, and the bartender is getting irritated with them, and Clarence, in discussing receiving his wings for helping George, okay, just hang in there with me. You're going to need to go to YouTube and watch some of these clips if you've never seen this movie before. But, but Clarence says, what's the matter? Don't they believe in angels? And George was like, yeah, yeah, maybe they, yeah, I think so. They believe in angels. And then, and then Clarence says, well, why would they be so surprised to see one? Now, without going into the doctrine of angels today, it is important to remember in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, uh, the author encourages people um, to take the opportunity to be hospitable to all because in being hospitable, some have entertained angels. Okay, so David also wrote Psalm 91 that we should pray to the Lord to charge his angels over us. And I do that. I pray over my children, Lord, charge your angels over us. Keep us healthy and safe and boost our immune system and bring us all back home together. I pray that prayer constantly. It was in these conversations that George admitted to Clarence, I'm worth more dead than alive. Um, a little bit morbid, but just hang in here with me. I, I, I actually heard my biological father make this statement. Looking back, I mean, at the time, he was just kind of being tongue in cheek, but he really thought that. Because behind every joke is just a little bit of truth. In the movie, George Bailey says, I, I'm worth more dead than alive because he had a life insurance policy. And he thought that the value of his life was dependent upon the money that he could provide. But he misunderstood the value of life. This is point number two. Number two is that Jesus died for me to live. He died. He gave his life to give me life. Not just life on earth, but life in eternity. And not just life when I get to eternity, but life from this place into eternity. So Jesus died so that I could discover my purpose while I'm here and impact eternity while I still have the opportunity. Before I inherit the kingdom of God, on the way to inheriting the kingdom of God, it was in that statement in the movie that George said, I'm worth more dead than alive, that Clarence decided the best idea for him would be to show him what the world would look like if George Bailey were not in the world. And so the rest of the movie is all about seeing what the world would have been like had his life not been and this was the movie line, hang in here with me for a second. This was the line that caused me to concede and preach this sermon on this movie because I wanted to do something else. Be totally honest, I wanted to do the elf. I thought it was funny. I thought we could pull some good stuff out of it and teach some valuable lessons. But my wife, who is sometimes the Holy Spirit for me, she is my intuition she wanted me to preach this one. So I watched this movie for the first time all the way through as a 36-year-old husband under the unction of listening to his bride. Take that for what you want. In the middle of the movie, I heard this statement. 
And I realized my wife was right, I can, which is me confessing that she was, she was right. Okay, she was just more right than I was. Okay, here's what Clarence says. He says, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Now, I know that you, most of you listening, are not planning on taking your own life right now. But I don't know that you all understand the value of your life right now. I don't know that I myself always understand the eternal value of my born again life right now. And although I don't know a lot of people who have taken their own lives physically, I do know a lot of people who have walked away from their lives spiritually and they did not have the eternal impact that they could have had because they didn't understand their value from God's perspective. See, value is very simply what someone is willing to pay. Take the housing market in South Louisiana right now at this moment. It is astronomically higher than it was just 12 years ago when Megan and I built a house in North Louisiana, all over, a new house at that time, if you sold it for $100, $105, $110 a square foot, that was like a really good sale. If you could build it for that, if you could build it for that, you could get your money back, okay? You can't touch that now. A brand new home, $130 a square foot easily. Just a nice home right now, 95 to 105, the going rate. Why? Because that is what the appraisal, the value of that home is based on what someone is willing to pay. Unless the appraiser comes in and says, no, it's not worth that much, then you can't sell it for that much. But predominantly, our appraiser does not base his appraisal on things that he sees. Our appraisal was based on what's already been paid. Paid. So our value, catch this with me, is a direct correlation to the payment that you are willing to give. Whatever you're willing to give for something, that's what the value of that is, whether it's a home or a car or a toy. Very simple example. Why is it that a pair of shoes that I owned in junior high, they were purple Jordans. I wanted a pair of purple Michael Jordan tennis shoes. I got those shoes. I think they were 80 to $90. Today, right now today, if I were to buy that exact same pair of tennis shoes from close to 30 years ago, if I were to buy those today on Amazon, they are valued at $250 to $300. Why? Because that's what someone, not me, is willing, I don't have those shoes, but someone is willing to pay. Listen to me. Jesus didn't give his life so that you could be born. Jesus gave his life so that you could be born again. And your value is based on what heaven was willing to pay, not just for you to be born physically, but for you to be born again spiritually, hear this. You are as valuable to God as Jesus because that is what he was willing to pay 
for you. Jesus gave his life so that you could live. That means that you are never too far gone for his grace. You are never too broken to be put back together. You are never too dirty for him to cleanse and sanctify. You are never too ugly or dead to be born again. I want you to watch what we can show you today. And I'll be right back to close this message.
when you give your life to Jesus and you let him keep it, that is the moment that you truly begin to live. See, before you weren't really living because everything that you were doing was only temporary. But when you give your life to Jesus, he adds his grace through your faith and you begin to truly live, discover your purpose and impact eternity. Write this down, number three, this is the closing. Jesus is the good news. He doesn't bring good news. He is the good news. He's not the writing, he's the paper. It is he that is the good news that you are looking for. He is the only place that you can discover your value. He is the only place that you can truly be strengthened. Jesus is the good news. Last week, Pastor Weston concluded the Grinch message with there has to be more to Christmas. He went into the story of Mary, and the overwhelming message that Mary received as most scholars believe to be a 14 or 16 year old young lady, a teenager that was going to conceive and give birth to the savior of the world. Watch this, Luke chapter two, verse 10. The angel said to them, this is everyone in the atmosphere, fear not, which is by the way, a great way for an angel to lead in a welcome, just as a general rule. If I meet an angel, I want them to lead with, hey, 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 it's okay, fear not, because I'm going to be afraid. Like whenever you wake up a child and, and if you just wake them up, they come up, that's what I would do if an angel approached me and gave me a greeting. So it's a very good, it's a very good start. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news. And then of great joy that will be for all the people. But what is the good news? What is the good news? This is the good news. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. That's the good news. His name is Christ the Lord. So Jesus doesn't bring good news. So you don't, you don't connect to Jesus hoping he can give you good news. You connect to Jesus because he is the hope and he is the good news. It's a different idea of connecting to Jesus for what he is or what he has versus who he is and what is automatically in him. Let's take Mary, for example. Again, Pastor Weston illustrated this last week, communicated this last week. And Pastor Weston used the phrase, Mary was concerned that her reputation was going to be ruined which is a very good concern. That is actually why she asked the question, how can this be, I'm still a virgin? She wasn't talking about how active she had been physically 
or impurity. That's not what she was referring to. It is way more likely that she was using the term virgin to mean I'm not married. I have not consummated or covenanted anything with anybody and everybody knows I'm not married because everybody wouldn't have known that she was pure. Everybody wouldn't have known that she had never been with a man, that she had never done anything physically that would cause her to be impure. Everybody may have just assumed that, but everybody would have known that she was not married that she was not with in consummation and covenant, the man that she was supposed to be with. And so her concern is everybody knows I'm not married and you're telling me I'm about to conceive. You're gonna put Jesus in me and everybody knows that I am not something they think I'm supposed to be. You're going to ruin my reputation because people have an expectation of me and God decides, Mary, listen, if you will receive this offering, I'm gonna put Jesus in you. And from this point on, you will only be known for your ability to carry and nurture and nourish and follow the one true King. And when I put Jesus in you, it's not going to ruin your reputation. It is going to redeem everything that you are. So God doesn't ruin our reputation. He redeems our reputation. Jesus is the good news. That's the message of Christmas. That's what we're celebrating, that we would receive the one true gift, that we would renew our commitment to the one true gift as we finish strong a challenging year and we start fast January 3rd 21 days of fasting and prayer I'm going to preach on it some more next week I'm going to do a special message just on Wednesday just for that Wednesday on fasting and prepare, preparing we're going to get ready and we're going to start on January 3rd 21 days of fasting and prayer but we got to finish strong because what if Jesus comes back between now and then? I don't wanna wait until January 1st to do what I could do today, to begin what I could begin today. I don't know, God redeems my reputation. He gives me a new one. He put Jesus in me. It's my responsibility to receive Jesus, to carry Jesus, to nurture Jesus, to raise my relationship with Jesus and to follow him no matter where. He, he, when, G, when God put Jesus inside of me, it, it didn't, just, didn't just change my reputation, it changed everything. And he's changing everything. Why? So that I could know him, so that I could find freedom, so that I could discover purpose and so that I could impact eternity and accomplish his will for my life. Not when I get to heaven, while I'm here on earth. So I strengthen myself. I understand that Jesus gave his life so that I could live. And I understand that it is Jesus that is the good news. I understand my value. I begin to learn my purpose and I begin to operate and accomplish and impact eternity as God created me to. That, my friend, is a wonderful 
life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Father, I just pray right now for anybody that's listening that didn't understand their value, I pray that they would remember that you directly correlate your love for them with your love for your only son. So Jesus is no more valuable to you than they are. Lord, for anybody who's sick right now, physically, God, I lift them up to you. I'm, I'm saying names in my spirit. I'm lifting them up. I plead your blood right now over them. God, for anybody who's sick emotionally right now, mentally, exhausted, beat down, discouraged, depressed. God, I rebuke these things in Jesus' name. I rebuke anxiety and fear in this season. God, I rebuke the pressure and, and I pray that it would be replaced with praise today. Lord, for anybody that needs to receive you, surrender their lives to you right now for the first time or the first time in a long time. And everybody else that I'm praying for, I pray that God, they would have the confidence to simply open their hands right where they are. Come on, if that's you right now, I want, I want you to open your hand in your lap as a sign of, of releasing that fear, releasing that anxiety, releasing that anger, releasing that frustration, releasing that unforgiveness. God, I pray right now that you would begin to replace it. Replace it with value. Replace it with purpose. God, replace it with obedience. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, or even if you just need to recommit your life to him. Right now, I wanna invite you to pray with me. Come on, pray this prayer. Jesus, forgive me for being distracted, disobedient, discouraged. Cleanse me, save me of my sin. I believe you gave your life so that I could live. You died on a cross. You paid for my sin. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again, live for you, follow you, accomplish your will for my life. I surrender. Lord, take my life and make it yours. May I live for you with all of my heart from this day forward. You are my purpose, in Jesus' name, amen.